This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture, and our topic today is singleness. Singleness in the church, it's a very neglected topic in my view. It's an important topic, especially with how much um, how much discussion rotates around issues of gender and sexuality. So I have two uh, very, uh, how can I say, uh, admired guests in my presence. I've known both these people for a while, and I'm really pleased that they're able to be here. Abe Curavilla teaches in our homiletics department and pastoral ministries and has been here at the seminary for eight years full-time and ten years right. if you count part-time. So. He's a veteran of foreign wars here on the campus, and uh, <laughs> pleased to have you with us, Abe. Thank you. And then Carrie Steinbeck is here, and she's in ministry at Park City's Presbyterian Church. Is that right? And how That's long right. have you been there? You know, if you count the part-time, um, 16 years. 16 years. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time. And and you were, if I remember correctly, early, early on, very involved with the spiritual formation effort that we did here at the seminary back in the yeah. formative days when we were just getting launched. Is that right? That's right. I helped lead um, the arm that began the women's spiritual formation groups. Yeah. So, uh, mm-hmm. so Carrie's also a veteran of foreign wars on the campus, so I really yeah. appreciate you all being here with us to discuss a topic that I think actually is often neglected, under-discussed, under-appreciated. I don't know how many uh, descriptors I can put around this, uh, uh, and that is the issue uh, of being single in, and being in the Lord. And so, A, why don't you start us off and tell us about uh, uh, singleness as you see it, and particularly your own choice with regard to uh, being single. I think I know exactly when I decided to become single. That was when my friend Rick, who was married to Jen, told me once, Abe, I didn't know what the secret of happiness was until I got married, and then it was too late. Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> now we have to do to another <laughs> podcast on marriage, and it's not that bad, but go ahead. <laughs> Many years ago, about 20, 25 years ago, I was serendipitously thrown into a church plant situation in Houston where I was working on my medical training. Hmm. And I ended up being the teacher and the the interim pastor for that organization mm-hmm. without any theological training whatsoever. Well, that sounds like an exciting prospect. It was exciting. Yeah. It was being thrown into the deep end of the pool. Mm-hmm. But that forced me to sit back and throw myself into an intense study of Scripture just because I had to preach it weekly. And I realized that this was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. My heart was in it. My passion was to totally throw myself into Scripture. And that's when I started thinking about singleness as a lifelong choice. I looked back at what God had done in my life, his fingerprints, personality-wise. I I was very content with solitude and Mm -hmm. didn't need to be around people. Mm -hmm. My passion was was to have an undistracted focus on ministry. And uh, it was bearing fruit. Hmm. So that's what led me to thinking along these lines. Hmm. Hmm. And Carrie, what about you? What's your, what's your story in terms of how this has emerged in your life? Well, it's, it's probably just the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I have a twin brother, mm-hmm. and I grew up playing dolls and thinking that I would get married and have kids. In fact, when my parents had us twins, they mm-hmm. knew a week before we were born they were going to have twins. Mm. And um, I don't know if it was because they just couldn't come up with four names, <laughs> but I only got two. Oh. And I remember my mother saying, well, girls really don't need their middle names because they'll get married, mm. and they drop that. Mm. So um, for God's sovereignty and His love for me, that hasn't been given. But I always thought it would, mm-hmm. and um, 
and dated and loved that and in fact was engaged here while a student and had mm. a broken engagement but mm. um for whatever reason in god's mysterious ways is that are good it hasn't been given mm-hmm. so two very different stories two different very different approaches Let, let's talk a little bit about singleness in in the church and i really think the church struggles with people being single in some ways um it's Am, I'm reading that as a married person, okay? So that so so now I get the chance to ask two singles. Is that really true? Does the church struggle with the presence of single people in its community? I think the Protestant church does. Mm-hmm. I think when that German monk ran away with a Catholic <laughs> nun, uh-huh. uh, I think we Protestants generally threw the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and forgot the importance of celibacy to the church. Mm-hmm. And I think we have been living in that shadow ever since. Mm-hmm. And yes, I think you're right. Um, I don't know if I want to call it a bias against singleness, but I think there is a certain amount of naivety as to what constitutes celibacy and singleness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not overt bias, but it's probably coming out of a sense of ignorance. I don't know what to do with these people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing. And you almost sense sometimes, at least in regard to ministry, and almost I would say almost a fear of the single person and the the risk of having a single person on staff. I know a lot of churches who, when they uh, post for a position, will say, will almost assume that the person should be married to go into into certain positions in the church. Almost, it's almost a throw off in terms of 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 the way someone is uh, is uh, viewed as a single person. I think my own students' experience validates that. Mm-hmm. Whenever they have applied, many of them, if they're single, are immediately struck off the list mm. for that matter. I'm not sure what the fear is, mm-hmm. though I had a conversation with a friend of mine many years ago who doubted whether single men in particular could remain continent. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very happy with his Remark: mm-hmm. Ever since that time, whenever there has been a fall for moral reasons in mm-hmm. the pastorate, I email him a link to that article and ask him, was that person married or single? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 99% of the time, the person was married. Yes, yes. Fair, fair enough. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you find, Carrie, uh, in, in terms of the church and the way singles are received or understood or misunderstood? What do you, what do you find? Well, I, the first thing that comes to mind is most structures of churches, um, programs, or mm-hmm. assume family structure. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that 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 just by virtue of how we are structured, singles are usually the minority or thought to be. Not in every single church, but mm-hmm. for the most part, and um, and leadership is usually deacons, elders are mm-hmm. almost always. Married, mm-hmm. and and so I don't think it's purposeful to leave singles out, but it but just by virtue of who your friends are, who, what you're thinking about, you just go, oh, oh yeah, the singles, mm-hmm. and then it's a separate entity and um, a separate identity that probably has too much emphasis. Now my sense is that as as I think and wrestle about this, particularly in in the world that we're finding ourselves in today. That being able to deal with people as individuals, whether they're married or single, is a very, very important part of ministry. There are mm-hmm. so many ways in which families are broken today to begin with, and you have, you know, you have single mothers who have been divorced or single fathers right. who've been divorced. And so you have, you have a lot of people who live in a context of singleness, whether they've been previously married or not, and and. As you mentioned, with the assumption of many programs that we assume the family, we preach the family, we talk about the family, and certainly the family is an important unit, to to ignore the individual walk of the individual person and to, or to understate it actually doesn't do the church many favors theologically. Would you find that to be the case, Abe? I think you're right. Just to backtrack a little bit, you mm-hmm. might remember, Daryl, several years ago, Our dean here at DTS had a program Mm -hmm. whereby faculty members living in a particular geographic area would get together for a meal. Yes. The dean would provide the meat. The rest of us would have to provide the carbs and the sweets and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do you remember what the program was called? Dinner for eight 
Ah. Except when I was there, it was seven or nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they were providing a possibility you might bring a date. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on, on that note, I might add that what I call my singleness uh-huh. is ecclesiological singleness. Okay. So it's by choice. Uh-huh. It's for life. Uh-huh. No dates. Yeah. Unto Christ. Uh-huh. And in community, mm-hmm. my choice for life unto Christ and in community, not hiding under a rock somewhere, but fully mm-hmm. entrenched in community. Yeah, that last point is something we're going to develop because I actually think that's a very, very important point mm-hmm. that comes with what you're talking about. But fair to say that the, the church finds the single category sometimes a little awkward. By the way, that's not unusual because if you talk to people who get divorced, and I I almost apologize for having to constantly make these comparisons. And there's widowed, too. That's right. I mean, widowed, yeah. that's mm-hmm. right. Exactly. So there are lots of ways people uh, – some people are, are single by choice. Some people have fallen into singleness, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. And and in the midst of that, um, particularly with divorced couples, what you hear is, is people get surprised about which of their friends stay in contact with them after they get the divorce, you know. Um, uh, as if it's it's almost as if in the social circles in which they were very naturally invited and be a part the moment they broke up and ceased to be a couple, how they are related to socially changes automatically because of their newfound single status, which which shows that it that in some ways we've made it awkward for people regardless of how they f- fall into the singleness in many ways. I think one other factor in that is that the church has not had many models. Of singleness, and I think the primary model has to be an ecclesiological singleness by mm-hmm. choice for life. Mm-hmm. I think if there were enough models of that kind of singleness, mm-hmm. how we treat the other kinds of singleness would actually fall into place. And the mm-hmm. fact is that we haven't had many models. I searched for one when I decided to be single, mm-hmm. and apart from knowing John Stott from a distance, mm-hmm. I could not name a single person who had was by choice for life unto Christ and in community. That's, that's exactly right. And yeah. so that left me adrift. I had to rethink this or create this uh, on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think the church does not have enough models for that. I remember when in our church, our pastor was going through First Corinthians from chapter 6. He jumped to chapter 8. No, oh, he skipped chapter 7. He skipped seven. 7, and I oh. asked him about it. And he said, Abe, hey, would you like to preach that next Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems like the married person is afraid to touch on some of these yes. issues for fear of hurting somebody, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm actually planning on discussing a little bit of 1 Corinthians 7 in a little bit. So that's I'm glad you've brought that up. And Carrie, what do you find in terms of uh, uh, in terms of how the church relates to people who, are, who find themselves in a single position? They feel like they do struggle with it or? Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely think a it depends on the church, mm-hmm. and um, and yet um, within leadership roles, I think at the seminary level, that's the kind of thing we're thinking of that there is some um, hesitancy, some fear uh, for the single person. Um, you know, when when a young married man gets a job at a church, I think sometimes the church thinks. We got, and she, he's married. We got two for the price of one. <laughs> you know, you got that going going for you. And um, but I, you know, I've heard in our church even some leadership say uh, allude to the thinking like you're not really complete mm-hmm. unless you're married, mm-hmm. um, or you're not really um, receiving the kind of sanctification that really, really gets to your self centeredness mm-hmm. unless you're married. Mm-hmm. As if God couldn't work in your sanctification both ways. Mm-hmm. And um, Sometimes that happens, and um, but what I what I think is the most important thing is um, whatever the status is in life that that God has given you, that it's just it's just one slice. I mean, our identity is in Christ, mm-hmm. and that He chose us, and He loves us, and He keeps us for all eternity. And to live in that, that's where the greatest freedom is, mm-hmm. and the greatest identity is. Yeah, and I I think that one of the problems kind of hovering around this, and you've already alluded to it, Abe, is is there's a lot about identity in our culture that's defined not just by social status, but by gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And and that tends to overwhelm this area in this conversation mm-hmm. in some ways. And so um, so much defining goes on in that area in the culture at large. And really the church has an opportunity to make a statement 
a contrastive statement in the context of singleness that's very, very important in that regard, it seems to me, about identity. Luther, in a rather interesting essay called The Estate of Marriage, mm -hmm. once said that what celibates do can never be pleasing to God, not as much as a woman in childbirth, even if that child was born out of wedlock. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. Fornication is better than celibacy. Mm -hmm. Luther said that? Luther said that. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can quote others who have said, and I won't name names, mm -hmm. contemporary leaders, presidents of seminaries who have said that Scripture teaches us that saint-making primarily occurs in the context of marriage. Mm -hmm. I don't know how far the church can go with leaders making statements like that mm -hmm. unless we really counter that with um, some models and scripture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've, you've done a wonderful job of introducing us to what I think is a primary passage that, that I think a lot of pastors do find awkward to handle and preach. That's 1 Corinthians 7. So um, let's talk a little bit about that passage and what it has to say to us about about singleness. It seems to me that Paul has a very, uh, if I can say it this way, positive view about singleness. Um, since you quoted Luther, I'll trump you with Paul. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, uh, What is that, the new perspective? That, uh, well, I think it's the old perspective, old perspective yeah. in relationship to Luther, but anyway. Um, uh, but as we think about that, Paul actually has a lot very positive to say about singleness, doesn't he? I'm going to trump your Paul with my Jesus. Okay. Matthew 19. Mm -hmm. It's given to certain people to live that way. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense of givenness mm -hmm. to that, which connects very well with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. I think they're both gifts, mm -hmm. the gift of being in marriage, the gift of remaining celibate. I mm -hmm. think they're both gifts. They're both valid platforms for ministry. They're callings in very many ways. And to a great extent, what, so what I tell people or even my students is I'm not asking you to go one way or another, just to ask yourself what your gift is, your calling is, mm -hmm. and go accordingly. Because I personally believe, without any statistics to support me, I believe that there are more people with the gift of singleness who end up being married because that's the default pathway of our culture and mm -hmm. the church than people with the gift of marriage remaining single. Hmm. And I think, therefore, the church has lost out. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Now, Paul says several things in 1 Corinthians 7 that are of, uh, of value. One is that he talks about, and you've talked about this some as well, the undistracted way in which people can serve who are, who are single, which might suggest that Paul thinks that marriage introduces distractions. I have no idea where he came up with that idea. <laughs> but uh, 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 so that certainly is one positive, is that, is that someone can be completely and totally dedicated and focused on the Lord. And, I, and I, I think if I'm hearing you correctly, that's one of the elements that you found attractive about the choice to be single. I think there are a number of freedoms, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not completely endorsing that term, but there is a whole biological issue mm -hmm. of physical engagement with another person, which you are free from. There is a sense of freedom in that you're provision, there, there is no security. Mm -hmm. I think it was Pope John Paul II who said that celibacy is a series of self-sacrifices, hmm. sacrifice of sex, of family, of security that comes from family, of companionship. Of, and I'll add to that there is a freedom to suffer, as First Corinthians 7 does seem Suggest to imply. Suggest exactly, yes. Because as I'm, I'm not responsible for a family, and I have to be careful where I lead them if I'm the husband. Mm -hmm. I'm free from that responsibility. I'm also free, f in a different sense, free to engage in or demonstrate an inclusive love, mm -hmm. a love of mine that is not restricted in a concentric circle primarily for family, then to others, but it can be a more of an inclusive law. So there are several freedoms like that in addition to that of time, mm -hmm. which, which clearly is there, of course. Mm -hmm. and, and Carrie, what do you find to be, if I can shift questions a little bit, the challenge of being single in the church, if, if I can put it in those kinds of ways? What do you think is um, – what, what, what space do you have to kind of negotiate 
to some degree. Does that question make any sense? Negotiate. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I mean, do you find – we've already talked about how the church can sometimes kind of almost marginalize the single person. Mm-hmm. So. So what is what is that like? What does that what does that take to deal with the potential marginalization of of someone simply because they're single? Well, one of my friends has a funny phrase: "Is um, when you're single, you have to have scheduled intimacy, meaning good friendship, good mm-hmm. talks. You have to organize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to have that depth of friendship and the communication and that kind of thing and." Certainly, when you when you work at a church staff like I do, um, there's so much opportunity to have depth of friendship, mm-hmm. depth of ministry, and there is great freedom to be available mm-hmm. to pick up the phone in the middle of the night mm-hmm. to do that. And, and yet, I mean, I I don't know if this is where you're going, but the, one of the big differences in longing to be uh, thinking and desiring, wanting to be married, is that there's a lot of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And, and in that thinking um, for years that I kind of had a consolation prize, ministry mm-hmm. was like, well, you get to do ministry. When I wanted to have a, my ministry to be a family, a mm-hmm. mom and a family and a, a wife. And um, so for me, it's been like surrender to God's purposes and His goodness and His love. Mm-hmm. And then um, that has given me so much more joy and freedom in my service that it has. now. I mean, certainly involvement with um, ministry teams and where I am, um, I do not see a limitation by being single. If it's there, I'm kind of oblivious to it. And um, you think you kind of worked through it? How long you've been at? You said you've been at Park City 16 years. Is that right? Maybe I have. Where yeah. maybe they don't think think of me, but I think I. I don't think of myself first as oh, I'm the single person here. Right. Right. You know, I, I think we there's a there's a bigger thing that we're talking about, a bigger thing that we're doing. It, you know, it's it's the abiding in Christ mm-hmm. for the fruit that we all produce mm-hmm. than the fact that I come to the table being single. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me I'm going to shift gears again. Uh, let's talk about let's talk to church leaders for a second. Okay, because um, we've we've kind of spent the first third of our time talking about being single, what it's like to be single, the church wrestling with singles being in the church. So, if you were to give advice about how to interact with with single communities, single people, and how to pull them into community, because uh, that's certainly where we're going next. Um, uh, what advice would you give them? And I'm going to let ladies be first this time. So, Carrie, you get to lead off. What, if you, as you th- wrestle with with thinking about this mm-hmm. and what you would say to pastors, particularly pastors who might who might be slow to admit but recognize this is an this is an area where I feel a little awkward sometimes. So, you want me to give yeah, advice yeah, to the yeah, pastor? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think get to know them, get to know us. You know, um, on my way here. I um, called a young woman who's um, in another seminary in town and going through a hard time, and um, she said our pastor had called her. And he's not afraid mm-hmm. to reach out to single women when he knows they're in a hard place. Mm-hmm. And and I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he gets to know the hearts of the single people, and um, not, not with any Hesitation, but he's, he's always very appropriate. Mm-hmm. He's always very appropriate. So that would be the first thing: is we're trying not to think of ourselves as a special needs category. Right. So please don't 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 treat us treat that us way. that way too. Yeah, exactly. Good. And 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 I'm going to follow up on this because you've actually raised something that I think is can be part of the equation, at least in some situations, and that is the church also has tended to build up certain rules about how. Men and women relate to one another in general, not whether they're single or, or married or whatever. And I imagine that ends up potentially being an, another hurdle in terms of building relationships because because uh, a single woman in a context of a community that has many married men mm-hmm. can be can create its own sense of awkwardness. So a pastor who chooses to to treat every individual in the church as an individual in the church, if I can mm-hmm. say it that mm-hmm. way actually is doing everybody in the church a favor. Fair mm-hmm. enough? Right. Yes. Yeah. I definitely think so. But I 
But I remember when I worked here in spiritual formation team, I was the only woman with 12 men. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one man, I mean, he had no qualms about taking a woman to lunch. Mm-hmm. And another young man put the woman in the back seat of his car if they ever went somewhere, just oh, to, wow. to not have any, any question about anything that might happen. That said, I think in today's um, culture that's so highly sexualized, combined with the fact that Satan is after the local church like mm-hmm. crazy, I just think you can't underestimate the, the things that might um, might get in mm-hmm. uh, by, by underestimate the power of a man and a woman um, outside of marriage, um, something happening. Um, so... Um, I just, I just think you have to be on your guard. Mm-hmm. Always be on your guard, and um, I think women need to have um, great respect for men. And um, I really don't think you should go to lunch with someone by yourself, um, another man. I think that's the the wise thing to do over years and years of doing it both ways. Mm. I, that's where I land, and um, and I think it's not because of of the man or the woman personally, but for knowledge that Satan wants to take down the local church. Mm-hmm. And um, I would rather I err on the side of caution. Um, but there, you know, our pastor does a remarkable job um, at making me feel completely cared for and loved, but in very appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. And so it can be done. Mm-hmm. And um, there's there's lots of good ways for God will give you wisdom in that. Okay. Now, Abe, what advice would you give to pastors who who uh, who might find? I like I like the way Gary put it. You know, don't treat us as a special needs category. Um, now, what advice would you give? I think I, again, talking from my perspective of <laughs> ecclesiological mm-hmm. by choice for life under mm-hmm. Christ in the community, I would probably want to remind pastors of the valid platform that such a single person has for mm-hmm. ministry, and the fact that marriage is not necessarily the summum bonum of life. Mm-hmm. If it were, it would have extended into eternity. Mm-hmm. It is not. Mm-hmm. So if anything, celibacy is more eschatologically focused than is mm-hmm. marriage, uh-huh. if I would put it that way. Yeah. And I think it's those things that I would want a pastor to know and to respect and to be open in his dealings with people who are single to encourage them as to what their gift or their calling might be. Because mm-hmm. I, again, again, I have to come back to the point that I think the church has lost out in not encouraging people with that calling to flourish. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. And, and how do you deal with the other issue that Carrie raised, which is, you know, in the cross relationships that inevitably That's exist good. in a community yep. between a man and a woman in the context of the church where where you're going to end up being together if you're ministering side by side on a team, that kind of thing. There there's going to be mixes where you en- end up with a group. What what how do you view that? That aspect of ministry. I make a distinction, as do many, and I know you do too, mm-hmm. between sex and gender. Mm-hmm. I may not be having sex, but I'm fully gendered. Mm-hmm. I do need the interaction with people of the opposite gender. Mm-hmm. And God has always seen to it that I'm always in relationship with a few couples. Mm-hmm. There, there are always two or three couples that are very close, outside of family, mm-hmm. my brother and his wife, outside mm-hmm. of that. Couples that are very close to me and are they can speak into my life and I into theirs at to such an extent that even today I have the house keys of one of those couples hmm. on my keychain. Hmm. I can go into their house whenever I want to. Hmm. Hmm. Um, God has seen fit to provide that to keep me in relationship with a nuclear family with their children with whom I have great relationships. Um, so, I take it both of your churches have small groups. Is that right? 
Um, do are you all associated with the small groups in your church? Do they pull you in or or not? What's what's the situation there? Oh, we do have a singles group, mm-hmm. and I usually go there to speak, not so much to participate. Mm-hmm. Here's the reason: mm-hmm. all of them are not by choice for life unto Christ in the community, and mm-hmm. so I'm looking for a very narrow niche. Mm-hmm. Most singles are either single before marriage, mm-hmm. single between marriages, mm-hmm. or single after marriage, mm-hmm. widowed or widowers. Mm-hmm. I am hard-pressed to find a community of like-minded people who have given that up. Mm-hmm. And so some of those discussions and things that they talk about just is foreign to me. Mm-hmm. In, that, in that kind, of, So even though we're in the same category of singleness, uh-huh. It's different. It's very different. Now, here's a here's a question that that I actually did want to raise at some point during the hour. So this is a good point for it. And that is, are you purposely? I don't know how else to express this question. Are you purposely segregated into a singles group because you're single, or would you have the option to be part of a group that would involve married couples as well? Oh, we, I would have the option. For you that. would have the option, and I would prefer to and have attended small groups that are more family oriented. Okay, that would be my preference too. Yeah, really, and and so I, you know, I'm wondering because I think some churches might actually unconsciously place you automatically in in the singles group because you're single. Is that sort of what happened or I, is, that, is that really true? I don't I can't think of churches that would deliberately segregate. I don't think they would like, say it, but I think by default, by the very creation of a singles group, you might be creating a, a, a expectation expectation in that direction. I, I think at least in Northwest where I go to it's an option. Okay. If you would prefer to, that's fine. Uh-huh. But uh, there's How does no PCPC handle that? Yeah, it, it's an option uh-huh. as well. But I will tell you this, um, what I've observed over the years with young singles when they first moved to Dallas, um, they want friends more than anything else. Right. You know, so um, it, for instance, our, our young women's Bible study is like, we want you to have girlfriends that you can go out and do stuff with. You mm-hmm. can And you can meet guy friends in Sunday school, Mm -hmm. but make some good, solid women friends. Mm -hmm. And then later, they might want to be in more of a family-structured small group. Mm -hmm. But first out of the shoot, first in Dallas, Mm -hmm. they want girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And I would assume it's much like that with young men. So uh, what I may be hearing between the lines is, is that sometimes it can happen almost by default. In, in, mm-hmm. That that you end up in you, you end up there because you're relocating to begin with, and that's a natural place to start, and then that just carries on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, let's let's turn our attention to the last topic that I want to uh, zero in on in, in some detail, and that is the development of community, um, in in developing community and participating in community. As a as a single person with everything that we've been talking about, you know, the, I'm, in the back of my voice, I'm hearing you don't treat us as a special needs. Everything about this podcast has the feel yeah, of a yeah, special yeah. need, but but I actually think that's actually part of the problem. That's actually part of what we're trying to think about and challenge people on is to get them to think about the fact that this don't treat this as a special category with a special box over here, but 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 see everyone in the church and everyone period in the church as you know a vibrant member of the community who has something to offer to it that God has them mm-hmm. in the community uh, for a reason so so let's turn to the idea of, of community and uh, help us if you will think about community as you, as you see it uh, from the from the side of being a single person what 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 uh, what what can can help how can the church help itself uh, in this area in terms of building community with, with single people? Uh, for me, one of my needs is accountability. Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy to go adrift mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a boat into the night. Mm-hmm. When you're living single, no one's keeping tabs on what's going on. So I have consciously, deliberately, with the permission of certain people, invited them to be to into a position of responsibility for me may not necessarily be one person for every part of my life mm-hmm. but financially they might be somebody in other aspects there is another person um, just uh, 
reflecting on what Carrie was just saying a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. yesterday I was stuck in an emergency situation where I had to ferry the college-going daughter of one of my good friends mm-hmm. from DFW Airport to her school, mm-hmm. a two-hour journey. Mm-hmm. I, there was no way I could say no. Mm-hmm. I immediately texted one of my colleagues here at seminary, who's my neighbor, who's mm-hmm. I, he's, I'm accountable to him, that, mm-hmm. hey, I'm doing this. I just wanted you to know. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, got it. Have a safe trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a sense in which I want my life to be an open book. Mm-hmm. If there are things happening that others mm-hmm. need to know, they need to know, even if there is nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to maintain that sense of accountability. I think that's where... For me, at least, at least in this phase of life, community becomes very important. That they can say to my life what I'm doing wrong, mm-hmm. keep an eye open for things, for blind spots in my life, uh, whether it's financial, whether it's relationships with the opposite gender, whether it's ministry engagements and time managements. And there are people in these different areas who, who can speak to, to those aspects of my life. And I take it these couples in particular that you mentioned earlier that have managed to get Get become a, a very vibrant part of your life. Are they occupying some of these roles yes, that you're talking do. about? Yes, they do. And 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 it would be interesting to, for people to hear. How did that emerge? Did that just happen in the flow of of community life that you ended up being close to these couples, or or some of it was fortuitous? Uh huh. You know, God brought it about. But to a great extent, there is a sense in which. If I see that this is a couple that can be trusted, mm-hmm. because I'm not going to do this with just anybody, mm-hmm. I open myself up. Mm-hmm. Initially, they're very surprised, mm-hmm. because for the most part, they may not have had that kind of a close relationship with anybody. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> that's not the norm. That's right. But my life is an open book, mm-hmm. and I invite them in mm-hmm. uh, tacitly, not not explicitly, and, and that just develops. and. Uh, and it just worked out very well. Was there, was there anything conscious that you did to develop this? I mean, did you guys, you know, have dinner together at one another's yeah, homes? That's or usually like how that? it starts yeah. over, over food, yeah. invariably. Yeah, they're usually members of the church that I am in, or members of where I have interim pastor. Mm-hmm. And looking back at the few people, they're like that. They're either members of where I am now, or members of where I have been in the past. I see. Started off with uh, just a casual invitation, come over for a meal, mm-hmm. and. I invite them for a meal. I know I don't cook. I take them out to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, then it's you're just my kind of single guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I so agree. I mean, even the best of a small group and best discussion around God's word uh, with all ages and stages. I mean, that's d- as delightful as that is to to be a part of. The deepest community is when you do life together. Mm-hmm. And and um, about three years ago. I um I got mono. I mean, mm-hmm. who gets it at fifty two years old? Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I really saw that God gave me friends not just because I work for the church, but because this was my community, mm-hmm. and that because I couldn't even take the trash out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And they for six weeks I was in bed, and mm-hmm. people brought me meals at just the right time and just the right way, and changed my sheets and cleaned my. I mean it. It was amazing how hmm. this hmm. group of people and in it, their husbands pitched in too. It yeah, was just, yeah. just really feeling taken care of, and I, I feel so fortunate that God gave me that. But there is a certain aspect of it um, outside of a crisis that you have to initiate it yourself. Mm-hmm. You, that's what I mean by that scheduled intimacy. Mm-hmm. You, you have to figure it out mm-hmm. and make it work. Whereas when you've got a family all around you, then it kind of just, just happens. happens. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, that's it actually what I was pushing for is. In thinking about this, is that is that what might tend to evolve rather naturally? I mean, you're put you're put in a small group. I mean, the small mm-hmm. group that I function is is a handful of couples. They run the you know we run a gamut of ages, but the, you know everybody has a family and kids, and it's just kind of a natural affiliation. Affiliations, yeah. Mm-hmm. But but in the case of uh, again of. of of being a single person, where that first of all, you're not naturally oftentimes included in those. They just don't think meetings. about you. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, dinner for eight. Yeah, exactly right. And, and so in that process, you know, you get lost in the shuffle, for lack of a better description. Mm-hmm. And so, 
taking the initiative, uh, which which actually raises an interesting question. I had you speak to the pastors. Maybe another element that we need to raise is what would you say to other single people who are in churches? What advice would you give them as they think about being a part of community, encouraging their involvement mm-hmm. in community, so so that they they there there's a a natural tendency perhaps to marginalize the single person to a certain degree. How do you overcome that? That's actually a pretty important question if you're thinking mm-hmm. about community. Um, so, so, so taking this initiative is important. Giving people permission. I, I take it you must have couples in your church situation who operate much like Abe has described for yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, if if I were giving advice to singles, I would say, if there's a married couple that you want to spend more time with, call them. Say, do you want to come over for dinner? You mm-hmm. know, or you know, you. I think they almost always say yes. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, you you have to. Um, prayerfully make that and take that initiative and and they will more than likely reciprocate Mm -hmm. and uh, so it's just it's normal fellowship but um, there is the initiative that I think I think when you're single you tend to think oh I don't want to bother them Mm -hmm. I'll be an imposition Mm -hmm. but the reality is I think most of the time that couple enjoys it Mm -hmm. they got some different different mm-hmm. folks in their life. And there really is an opportunity to introduce something into their own dynamics that mm-hmm. actually is Absolutely. pretty important yeah. for community yeah. to function so that uh, so that we overcome some of the things we've been working in the entire mm-hmm. hour to overcome. Mm-hmm. So uh, what advice would you give, Abe, to, to single I think people? that's exactly right. I think many married couples, um, like the pastors we talked about, just don't know what to do with this strange species of single people. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think just opening yourself up and making friends in that sense. Um, God brings people, and there's a sense of chemistry in the way you make friends, friendships, and some mm-hmm. of them click, and uh, they will go far if you take the initiative. I think I like that mm-hmm. phrase of scheduled intimacy. intimacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very, good. That's very accurate. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, and uh, and I think the idea of taking the initiative and really everyone, I think, sometimes senses a bit of. Of potential awkwardness, and that helps to overcome it for the initiative to be taken and for well, the and doors to be open. And I don't want to leave open. out this very important point: is mm-hmm. I mean, God knows how to match these things up. Yeah, yeah. And you pray, pray yeah. that He will send that to you, pr- mm-hmm. send you to them. Mm-hmm. You know, how are these relationships supposed to be formed? But by the Lord leads, mm-hmm. and to pray and watch Him provide, I think is really important. Okay, well, we've got one class of single people who we've kind of talked around and about but, but and, and really are different from the situations you two find yourselves in in some ways and yet uh, face the same kinds of, of issues in another way. And that's the, those are the people who, I think the way you put it, Abe, was are either between families or have come out of families and find themselves single. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I've got two sets of questions here. One is, um, how how easy or difficult is it for the person who fought, who's single and never been married? How is it? How easy or difficult is it to relate to the people who have been married? That's one part of the question. And the second question is, how much of what we've talked about in singleness in general applies to to that group as well? In other words, are we uh, should we should we think in very different kinds of ways, or do these people all of a sudden find themselves in a spot that is uh, as as awkward sometimes as as having been single all along? Yeah, I'm not sure we can lump everything together mm-hmm. f- simply for the reason that the goals are probably different. Mm-hmm. As I define ecclesiological singleness, one of one of them is for Christ, mm-hmm. so that I can be fully thrown into, immersed in ministry. Mm-hmm. If that is not the case with somebody else, it may be a little bit harder to f- to form a community in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think there are differences between these categories. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can just because they don't have a spouse doesn't mean they can all be. Put into one basket. But can the single person who's experienced singleness for life be of a of a help or or, or minister to the person who finds themselves single and now perhaps lo- locates themselves in a place that either they hadn't anticipated or, or weren't prepared for in some ways? Yes, absolutely. And I think the way is simply the goals mm-hmm. to state that um, 
marriage is not the greatest good mm-hmm. neither is sex a biological imperative without which we cannot live mm-hmm. i'm alive mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, i think in those aspects and modeling focus upon christ i think is very helpful for those who are before in between or after marriages or families mm-hmm. and then and, and do you think uh you're also in a position to help them uh kind of get located in terms of okay I'm now single in a church I'm used to functioning in the context of being in a family um yeah. are you able to come alongside them and say this is this is what life as a single person in the church could be like and this is how you negotiate this space to some degree yes i think a single person's life is a demonstration of the gospel in at least three different ways one is that it is a self sacrifice mm-hmm. see the sacrifice of the number of things we talked about mm-hmm. secondly it is a demonstration of god dependence not that married people are not depending on god but in a different way the single person is yeah you're, my spouse is helping me depend upon god all the time <laughs> <laughs> whether you like it or not that's exactly right so <laughs> and then thirdly the eternity focus i think all of those reflect the gospel mm-hmm. it's a self sacrifice god dependence and eternity focus mm-hmm. and if i can model that in my life uh, i would die happy mm-hmm. model that both to married mm-hmm. people and in particular to single people to say that this is what life is about this is what the christian this is what it means to follow christ mm-hmm. self sacrifice god dependence eternity focus mm. and i think those three things ought to mark the way in which we single people mm-hmm. and everybody else <laughs> should live yeah now carry what do you what, what do you think as you think about this group of single people who find themselves single after after mm-hmm. not having been single Mm-hmm. Do they? Is it for you? Do you think about it as a different category, or is it? Are there enough similarities that there's there's ministry that can happen? Well, I think there's definitely enough similarities so that ministry can happen. And um, number one is that you're alone. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, but the second thing is most importantly than your aloneness is Elizabeth Elliot used to say, um, wherever you are, God has called you there. So if you are a new widow, he's called you to be widowed. And of course, Elizabeth Elliot is for people who don't know is someone who was married who yes, who, he's widowed who, three times, times. I think. Yeah, and, and um, maybe widowed twice, married three times. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, she her perspective on uh, calling was so helpful to me years ago, and that um, when you're single, if God has not brought you a husband, this is your calling. Mm-hmm. You're single for His glory, His purposes, mm-hmm. and the same thing with widowhood. Or should you end up in your in uh, a divorce? So those those three things again. I think that yes, those are things that happen to us that are life changing, and and probably not what you thought for the majority of us are like that. Mm-hmm. However, to live it to God's glory, to be um, surrendered to His purposes, and if He wants you to remarry, that that is within his his design for you his assignment for you and and that that would further God's purposes in and through you and i think the more we can be friends together and pray for each other um, as a community then we can help know the hand of god in those things mm. um, but on just a practical level mm-hmm. if you have children and you're newly widowed widowed newly divorced then you have some major time constraints that have changed and that's the kid factor mm-hmm. so it's really hard for you to have time for your friends mm-hmm. at that point and then when you do have time everybody's busy with their couple world mm-hmm. they 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 ha- they're not able to find the time to schedule the intimacy so there it does make things harder and more complicated so what you're saying is is that that scheduled intimacy that you're talking about that's so crucial for the single person mm-hmm. who's who's not been married, that becomes an even greater challenge yes. for the person who yes. has a family. When you still have kids family. at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you've mentioned a word several times that, I, that I'd like to talk about because I think this is an important part of the conversation too, being single and the, and the idea of, of loneliness or being alone, which, which I think can be rendered in a variety of ways. So let me walk through this and then okay. get your reaction. Uh, you know, when I think about loneliness, that, that is a, there's a sense in which um, I'm not attached and 
I'm almost uncomfortable not being attached. That's what I hear when mm-hmm. I hear the word lonely. When I hear the word alone, I hear um, there's no one around me. I'm on my own. That can be that can be positive or negative depending on what you make of it. And then the third thought that's in the back of my head is is that and and Abe, I'm hearing your voice in my ear while I'm saying this is that if if I am walking in a, in attached and connected to Christ, then I'm actually never completely alone. And so as I think I mean I, I've kind of painted a spectrum here because I think it's an important spectrum. And I suspect that single people may move along that spectrum mm-hmm. at different points in their lives. You know, there are times when they may feel very lonely, there are times when they feel alone, and then there are times when their walk with Christ is very much sustaining them. Of course, the goal is, is that that walk with Christ would do it through the whole thing. Uh, let's talk about that area of being single, because I think it's an important one that, mm-hmm. we, that we tend not to talk about. Carrie, mm-hmm. you want to start mm-hmm. us off on thinking about that? Yeah. I. Um... You know, the first thing that comes to mind is one of my good friends is in the hospital down the street at Baylor right now, and she's single and she's feeling pretty lonely. Mm-hmm. And even though her friends are there and visiting, she's like, "Wait, Lord, it's just you and me." Yeah. You know, I don't know what this mass might be, yeah. but I have to go deep and trust you that you're with me and your presence carries me, and I will stand on the things that you have taught me all these years. Interesting. So you've got a medical condition that's put persons. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you're it's a cancer potential, potential cancer, yeah. cancer situation. Yeah. And so, how do I negotiate this without any family around? Right. And yeah. she and she has no family. Yeah. But she has a dear group of friends. But still, it's I think it's not like if you had a husband right beside you and kids that were checking on you all the yeah. time. It's not yeah. quite the same. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a different element. Uh-huh. And um, and and then, and then I think. Like you said, it's very true that there's been there's seasons of ups and downs and the loneliness around the holidays, or mm-hmm. you know when I was younger and going to everybody's wedding but my own, or yeah. it, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yeah, you know that yeah. you you're you know everybody else is doing something but you. And then then when I hit my fifties and I realized, wait, everybody has in life something in their life that God assigned that they probably wouldn't have ever chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh, and and I. I mean, to be honest, I think I have lived a lot of my days kind of shortchanging God's purposes. It's like, oh, I got kind of the consolation prize. Everybody else got some fun stuff they're mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. I've missed out. Mm-hmm. And then I realized there's been some real struggles that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And um, not that I'm glad they were there, but that it's part of living in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And that um, we learn to, to live when he's, he is the one that loves us more than we can ever imagine or know. He is the one who loves us like Abba Father and our husband. Mm-hmm. And then and then to live in light of that, anticipating more, is is the journey of being single. Um, and then being hopeful that maybe some husband will come along the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, let's talk about this spectrum as you see it, uh, Abe. Uh, I have one sibling, uh-huh. an older brother. Uh-huh. We take care of our father. He's mm-hmm. 87 years old, widowed about 30 years ago. So you're all in the same city? He's or in Houston. He's in Houston. I'm in Dallas. My okay. dad goes back and forth. Fourth, okay. So he's with me right now, my father. So you trade him back and forth, uh-huh. basically? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So this 87-year-old single man lives uh-huh. with me uh-huh. for six months in the year. Uh-huh. And he's had some medical issues. He's relatively stable. And uh-huh. I... I have to wonder occasionally if I live to be 87. I have no desire to live to be 87, but if the Lord so decides, Uh, who will take care of me? mm -hmm. Um, And so I remember Psalm 3410, you know, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, Mm -hmm. but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of Mm -hmm. any good thing. Mm -hmm. And so you hang on to that. And as someone once said, in the backyard of solitude, there is always the crab grass of loneliness. Mm-hmm. I think that's very well put. Mm-hmm. Not always, but occasionally there is, oh, here's something nice that I'm doing or experience. It would be nice to share it with mm-hmm. somebody. But I submit to you that that may not be as unusual, or that is no more unusual than you in marriage occasionally thinking, mm, it would be nice to be alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think those flashes of wanting to be alone on a married person's part and those flashes of wanting companionship on my part 
are probably mutually canceling and won't make you give up your marriage, and neither will no, that. No, I'm not giving up my marriage. You got that right. <laughs> Sally will be yeah, happy to hear Sally, that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> neither I, will that cause me to give up my uh, calling of celibacy either. Yeah. So I, I think it balances out in, in the end. But, yeah. but, but it's there. It's the truth. It's important. And, of course, the, the, the solace that you have in one sense is that there is you do have family around you, so you have some built-in relationships that obviously uh, sustain you at one level. Uh, the, the situation that you've described over here of this gal who doesn't have family and is, is really, in, in some senses, more, more alone than many, mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's a, that is a, a challenge. And that's a challenge for a community, it seems mm-hmm. to me, because a community mm-hmm. really does need to rally around this. You know, I, I hate to make analogies, but we just did we just did an interesting podcast with Tony Evans talking about living as an African American in a predominantly, you know, white society, and it, it was a response to what's been going on, you know, with Ferguson and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the importance of community with so many broken African-American families, and there are a lot of people who live as single mothers mm-hmm. in, in the community, and the church really has to consciously rally around them to provide the support of what in some cases would normally come with a full family, that kind of thing. And you, in some ways, you're in a in, in a similar, it's distinct, but a similar kind of situation uh, for, for single people in, in helping to give them a wealth of relationships and a pool of relationships that make for community. That well, and, and you bring up a good point. I mean, I think the hardest, and my hat is off to that, is a, a single woman with children working all the time, and when in the world is she going to have time for a small group study. Right, you know, right. I mean, that is so hard yep. to, you know, we're not going to see them in the middle of the week, I don't think. Yep. You know, but maybe on Sunday, and then even then it's for a short time. Yeah, I have a sister in law who's just gone through a divorce, mm-hmm. I mean, within the last several years, and, and her, and, and she had, Four girls, and the youngest this year is a senior. So she's had someone in the house the mm-hmm. whole time, and we we have made a very very conscious effort to make sure she's included in a lot of the things that so we do, good. and inviting her to stuff and good. that kind of thing, to to have her. And she constantly is talking to us about about her wrestling with her loneliness and how difficult sometimes the holidays are and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I mean, we we've we kind of walked alongside her in the midst That's of all so this. Good. Yeah, and and. And you're right, Abe, to point out that there, you know, that there are different paths that people have walked and found themselves on. I mean, you've made a very conscious choice, which means that uh, you've accepted some of the things that come with the choice as a part of saying, "This is this is what I've committed before God to do. This is where God has me." There are other people who fall into situations that they didn't intend, didn't mm-hmm. design, and find themselves in, and the church has got to be able to be supportive of, of, of all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I have to wonder also, maybe if there were an army of singles in the church, mm-hmm. they would be the ones to support this friend of yours, Carrie. Mm-hmm. Well, and she has or, a lot of friends. Yes. You know, yeah. she has a solid group of friends. But I'm just no, saying, if they are dedicated, there, if they're dedicated mm-hmm. to this kind of ministry as a s- group of singles, yes, who have yeah. dedicated their lives to ministering to those. Yeah, in need. part of what I'm hearing in, in, from you, Abe, is almost a plea for the church to think through and, and seek out and encourage a certain kind of singleness with a certain kind of commitment that will produce the kinds of models you lacked when you made your choice. Am, am, I, am I hearing that and, right? And it may produce the extra hearts and hands needed to minister to people like the ones Carrie was talking exactly. about. Exactly. And, and that's been the history in the church. And with a deeper understanding of what that person is actually going through. Right. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. fair enough. I well, mean, for me, my calling is to be in ministry and a teaching responsibility. For others, it may be humanitarian interests. I'm, mm-hmm. going, to be remain, I'm going to remain single in order to meet the physical needs of mm-hmm. a single mother with children mm-hmm. who's got or an orphan, or, or orphans. A, yeah, I mean, uh, and there were armies of these in the early church, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering why not today. Interesting. Well, that's a that's a question to ponder, and it's a it, it might be kind of a good landing place for where we've where we've been together. Uh, I, I, 
I would. I came into this podcast. I have to be honest. Wondering what are we going to talk about for an hour? <laughs> but uh, but th- you've been very very helpful to help us think through this area uh, uh, of life, which I do think the church really just kind of has trouble figuring out, for lack of a better description. And hopefully, this podcast has helped uh, people think through the area of uh, of of appreciating uh, the people who, in some cases, have chosen to be single, in other cases, have found themselves to be single, and with a plea not to treat them as special needs on the one hand, and not to marginalize them on the other. Although that sometimes is socially what inevitably the inertia of our social relationships tends to make us do, and to realize single. Single people are a wonderful resource God has given to the church, and 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 in appreciating that, the church actually has the chance to accentuate what it is as a community in the midst of doing that. Amen. So I thank you all for being a part of this, and we thank you for being a part thank of the you. table where we discuss issues of God and culture, and we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.